Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome, welcome to our Friday afternoon class of Engineering 8, Intro to Entrepreneurship. It is my pleasure today to introduce our third and final guest speaker of the quarter. Um, Matt Kaufman is the Chief Systems Officer at Roblox, a startup many of you have maybe heard of recently. They've been all over the news. Um, Matt's also uh, an alum of the university. First, super excited to be here. Um, I love Davis and loved Davis while I was there. And anything I can do to help, I'm always up for it. Um, I thought I would just show a few slides of kind of how I went from Davis to where I am now and use that to like, um, I don't know, uh, spawn some questions from all of you. So there I was in Davis. Uh, I studied mechanical and aero um, and I graduated a long, long time ago. I think it was probably uh, 1994, 1995. And now I'm at Roblox. So question is, how did I get here? Actually, after I went to Davis, um, I loved school. Um, and I thought like, I really wanted to go and like keep learning um, and in particular in an aerospace. So I went to Virginia Tech. And I guess, you know, one of the things I found continuing go to, going to school is that um, I really liked building things a lot more than I liked studying and taking tests. And I was enrolled in a PhD program and I just looked at all that I would have to do to finish up my PhD. And I decided that like, I would just really much rather be out building stuff and doing stuff. So I ended up dropping out of that program. Um, but I did try and keep going in education. And then I went and I worked for um, some large engineering companies, um, Lockheed Martin. Um, I designed some rockets there and a bunch of stuff like that. Um, I ended up after that going to work for SITOR, which is really SAIC now. Um, where I say I worked in the basement. And what I mean by that is like in some of these arrow jobs, you work on things that are government oriented. I worked in a basement, literally, um, where I didn't talk to anybody and it was really, really cold. Um, and I was all by myself and I was working on stuff that like they couldn't really even tell me what it was. Um, and I decided that was just, it, it wasn't for me. And, um, you know, it was essentially working for the government. So I decided I needed to get out of that. And I was in the Bay Area and the internet was really taking off. So decided that, you know, I wanted to go try and do startups. So I said, I'm gonna set aside what I learned in school um, in a way, um, I, like aerospace. And I just took a software engineering job because um, I knew how to code and I wanted to change careers. And so I worked in a few different places. I worked for a company that was doing uh, search back in the days when it was a big fight with Google around who was gonna win search. Um, I worked in, and in that job, that's where I really learned um, how to go from being an engineer to being a product manager. And then I went to a company and there's a few other companies. I went to an amazing company um, called there.com. And it was amazing because of the people who worked there. And if anybody knows about like the lean startup movement or has heard of companies like Arista networks or peer storage, they're all found, they were all founded by people who were at there.com. But the culture there was awful. And it was this incredible lesson of seeing when you have a company, even when you have like these great people working together, like really like the very, very, very best people in the world. If you have a culture that's a little bit toxic, things go wrong and they go wrong really quickly. Um, so during this time, you know, like I went to a few different startups. I learned a ton about how to build products, how to grow teams, how to raise money. We raised a lot of money. Um, and also about leadership and the impact of leadership on teams. So after that, 
I was really start kind of ready to like start doing some of my own stuff. So there was a there was a few in here. Um, I co-founded an angel investment firm. Uh, we probably invested in 25 companies um, over a couple of years. And it was really interesting to be on the other side of the table and really think about things from an investor perspective. Um, I also founded a company. Um, it was called Edgeo, which nobody's ever heard of. However, um, the founders, there, when I was one of them, there was a question about who was going to be responsible for what. And one of the founders was like, you know what, I'd really like to blog. You know, I like writing about technology. And we're like, okay, yeah, sure, whatever. Um, and that was Mike Arrington, and that was TechCrunch was the blog. And the blog was actually a, uh, it started off as like a, a marketing campaign for our company. Um, and in fact, if anybody has seen the HBO series, Silicon Valley, the house that they, that they you know, film in, when it's not the actual house, but that house is based on the house we worked out of. It was Mike Arrington's house. And uh, my desk was right outside of his bedroom. And then there was a bunch of other startups that were all like in, in the hallways and in the kitchen. Um, and it was really interesting. So lots of fun stuff there. Um, from there, you know, I also worked at a company which we sold. Uh, we sold to Oodle, we sold it to QVC. So I got to look at the whole M&A process and how that works. Um, and also uh, went and took a company called Crunchbase, which was part of TechCrunch, long story there, and spun it out and raised money and ran that company for a long time. Um, and so what, in doing this, what I learned was that, you know, companies are like people um, and every stage, um, as, as you go along, um, every stage offers new lessons. So if you think about like growing up, like every stage of the company, you're learning something new and it provides a lot of insights into what you did before. It's like, you learn these lessons. And you're like, wow, I wish I would have known them in the past. And so finally I ended up at Roblox um, and I went here because I was really interested in managing through scale. And you know, when I, I joined Roblox, um, I was the first VP of product at Roblox. I'm running most of the product development teams. Um, there were a couple hundred people at Roblox. And in the last three, three and a half years, um, we scaled to over a thousand, took a company public um, and really got, you know, sort of widespread adoption. And anyways, I just thought I'd give that as just sort of an overview of some of the stuff that I've done. Um, hopefully that spawns some interesting questions. Um, and I'm happy to talk about any of these areas. Matt, I'm curious, I would love to kind of start out you talk about this idea of the different lessons learned as an investor, uh, as, as the founder, working with the tech companies along your career. Um, I'd love to just dive in maybe each one of those three areas, investor, founder, and, and early employee at tech companies, and, and sure. talk about some of those lessons, maybe even some of the specific experiences you had. So, I mean, that's a pretty high-level question, so maybe we can go any direction you want here, but, you know, what... Like maybe starting um, as an investor, like what, okay. what did you learn? Like what, what did you love doing and, and why abandon it for other opportunities to, to work at some of these yeah. companies? So actually the first thing I learned as an investor is um, as an investor, uh, the math that you're doing is very different than the math of the entrepreneur. So as an entrepreneur, you're like, wow, I've got this great idea. And you know what, I'm gonna build this company and I'm gonna start with like a couple people and we're gonna grow it to like 10 or 50 people and I'm gonna get you know, some number of customers, it's gonna be awesome. The invest, and, and you look at that and you're like, wow, we, we can generate enough income, we'll be profitable, it's all good. 
from the investor's perspective, what they're saying is, and I was doing angel investing, and so these numbers are sort of tied to angel. The angel investors are saying, you know what? I've got like a million dollars and I'm gonna invest in 20 companies. And 19 of them are likely to fail. So that one company that succeeds doesn't just have to take my, you know, 20,000 or $50,000 and turn it into 60 or 70,000. That one company in my 20 that I invest in needs to return multiples on top of a million. Like it basically, I need to see something that's going to increase in value by 20 to 100x. And so as an investor, we would see a lot of companies come through, which were really interesting ideas and ideas where I would look at and be like, wow, I'd like to work on that. But when we went back and we did the math, it would be like, yeah, we, we just can't bother. And so one of the things I ended up telling a lot of these entrepreneurs that we talked to is one of the most important things you can do is just build a spreadsheet and act as if you're an investor and ask yourself from a spreadsheet perspective only, would you invest? And most of the time, the answer is probably no. Now there's other ways of getting money. There's loans and there's all kinds of other stuff, but if you're looking for like actual venture investment, it's those multiples that really matter. Um, I would say the, so that's lesson number one. Lesson number two was that it's, and, and the people say this all the time, it's not just me, you know, it's really about the people you invest in and it's about the culture you invest in because whatever the initial idea is, it always is gonna change, almost always. And what you wanna invest in is you wanna invest in a team that looks really cohesive and is working really well together where anybody on that team can come up with a different idea and the team will take that seriously and they may pivot. And it's almost like doing like sort of relationship counseling. You're looking at how these people work together and talk to each other and stuff like that and whether there's mutual respect. Um, because if that doesn't exist, even if they're the smartest people in the world, um, things can go sideways. No, it makes all the sense in the world. Well, so, and then you make this leap back into the startup world. Work, well, I shouldn't say back into, because you're working for very large companies yeah. first. Um, well, maybe, maybe we ask that question. You, the, the, the bureaucratic organizations, that, you know, even more bureaucratic than the government. Um, how different was that compared to the, launching the startup and, and working for some of these companies? What were like the main differences, the things that, you know, kind of made you pause and, and think yeah. this is a different world? I think, you know, it needs, so one of the things that, that I've talked to a lot of people about is um, to go build a startup, the most important resource you have to build it is the network of people who can help you. So, you know, for a lot of people, you know, coming like straight out of college or it doesn't, wherever they're coming from, you know, one of the things that, and, and who are always trying to do these trade-offs, like, oh, should I do a startup, should I go to a big company, like all these different things. Um, one of the real big advantages of a big company is you just get to see and meet a lot of people and you get to see what they're really like to work with. And you get to kind of see what like people who have ideas, like which are the ideas that take off, you know, in the context of a big company is totally fine. Like you can see it there and see how people interact and engage with each other. And sometimes jumping to a startup right away is hard and you miss that. And, you know, we, at Roblox, we hire a lot of people who just like founded a company right out of college, like, you know, went to Y Combinator, did all of this stuff. And like, actually you find out that like two or three years later, even after did a startup experience, they still don't have that network of people to support them. And, they, and sometimes they don't know what good means. 
um, and they haven't seen good before or seen great, I guess. And so working for large companies, like there's that advantage of it's, it's like a giant pool to swim in and see what's going on. I think what you don't see is you don't see the real business decisions because you're in particular as an engineer, you're, you're down in like the detail of what's going on and you're building this thing, but you're not seeing like the actual, like, like the whole like business plan of what's going on. And that's okay. Um, and my advice is to like ask, like ask what's happening. Um, ask people around you, like, you know, how much money does this thing make? You know, when I was at Lockheed Martin, which I was very lucky, I landed in a research lab there, um, which operated like a startup. And when I got hired there, the person who ran the lab, this guy named Nick Pecklesma, he's like, hey, listen, just come work for me. I promise you it's gonna be awesome. And as soon as you got into that lab, like he literally wouldn't let other people in, like lock the door. And we operated like a little think tank and like a startup and we'd have ideas and we'd try them and like we would demo them and see if people like them. And like I learned a ton about entrepreneurship working in that lab. Um, but I had to really ask a lot of questions about like, why does this matter? And like, why, like who funds us? Like who's paying for any of this stuff? Um, so sometimes you miss that. You said something earlier about culture, and you've hinted at this idea of the importance of network. Well, not even hinted. You've been pretty explicit about it. Um, this past week in class, we've been talking all about the team and, and how you build a startup team. And so I would love your thoughts both on how you can turn a network, how you can create a network and in turn, turn it into a team. And then likewise, I'd love to get a little more detail on this toxic culture you mentioned in and how you prevent something like that from happening, how you build a good culture. Yeah. I say, you know, when you think about culture, um, like a lot of it comes down to principles. Like if you're gonna work with a team, um, you know, what are the principles by which you're gonna operate? And um, one thing that's, that's interesting, you know, looking back on a lot of different things, um, you know, at Roblox, we spent a lot of time talking about what our values are, um, like our values around, um, we have a new one, which is um, iterate towards the long view. And it's this notion that you always have to have a very long-term vision in mind, but you have to take lots of iterative steps to get there. Figuring that stuff out, sometimes as an employee, like you think you see that stuff, it's like on a coffee mug and you're like, yeah, whatever. Like, you know, okay, I got a new coffee mug, but those things end up being really important. And, and like, when you're thinking about like a founding team, like even just sitting down and saying, okay, like what are our principles by which we operate? And getting people to talk about, you know, like the notion of like mutual respect or like how just, you know, thinking about how decisions get made, um, thinking about like whether you want to be a culture that's hyper iterative or a culture that like always is like very visionary, like those things, like they matter a lot. And when you're building a team, it's getting everybody to buy into that. And like I said, you can have like the smartest people in the world and they're not calm. Founder of Arista, founder of Pure Storage. Um, uh, the guy who, like one of the original people from electronic arts, actually a few of them, um, like, I mean, people who are just, I mean, like literally brilliant. Like I was sitting in interviews, I had this one guy, his name's Ken Duda, who's this amazingly bright guy who founded Arista Networks. And um, like we could interview someone and this person would be like, oh, you know, hey, tell me about your degree in, you know, whatever. And he's like, oh, I got, you know, PhD in biology. And Ken, who was a computer science, would just go off and like start asking these like really, really specific details about like genetics and stuff like that. 
And afterwards I'd be like, hey, Ken, how did, like, how did you know that? And he'd be like, oh, I read the book. And then I looked, it's like, oh, you know, you're the person who got like three undergraduate degrees at MIT in like three years. And then we'll get your PhD at Stanford probably in another couple of years or something like that. Brilliant. But the culture was where people weren't honest with each other and where um, the, the CEO didn't trust other people. And it just created this place where like, it was really awful to be at and it just stressed everybody out. But the people there were really good. Like there were tons of people there who were just amazing people, but like sometimes you get stuck in this culture. Um, you know, it's maybe like, it's like, you know, if you, you hook up with like a bad set of friends, sometimes things don't go well and it's not where you may have thought about where you would have ended, but it can happen. And it's very, very hard to undo those things. Um, and so you just have to think a lot about that stuff going into it. And if you think about it, like, you know, most of these startups fail and the hardest part of a startup is, is closing it. And you want people who you want to be around at the end when you close it, if you have to, um, because that's when the really hard stuff happens. Interesting. Well, so, and now Matt, I'm curious as well, you know, you, you launched Edgeo, you, you became a founder. Can you tell us a bit about like the emotional toll it took to like make the leap into founding? Even working for a startup is not the same, obviously, as launching one. Like, how were you able to convince yourself to found? I've worked with with people. Um, our current, the current founder, the, the founder, not current founder, the founder of Roblox, a guy named Dave Bazuki. Um, he had a vision for what it was going to be, and he worked on it for ten years really with like a lot of people, including some of the initial investors kind of scratching their heads sometimes, kind of wondering like where all of this is gonna go before it really took off. Um, that type of like intensity and commitment to an idea, I will be honest, I don't have it. Um, but there are people who do. And sometimes when you make that decision about founding a company, it's right about finding the right mix of people. Like for me, I was the person who was like, okay, I know how to build this. I can build a team. I can build the technology. I can define the product. Um, and what I needed as a partner in founding was somebody who said like, I have a real conviction that this market exists and I'm willing to bet on it and I'm willing to partner to get there. And I think like, to be fair, like my you know, co-founder in that place was um, Mike Arrington and another guy named Keith Tier. I think they brought other things. I think Keith brought like that vision of this is what I think it's gonna be. And um, Mike brought the, I can bring lots of people together to make this happen. And I brought, I can, I can actually build it. And so making that decision to found something is sometimes it's, it's that mix of people that, that you have together, but it's really hard. Um, but it's also super rewarding. Like you're, you're building something that wasn't there before. Um, I think it teaches you a whole lot about how to sell you know, you go to school in engineering and, you know, you're so focused on building. And what you realize is that in founding a company, you'll spend half your time selling. And that means like selling to an investor to try and raise money, um, selling to uh, get people to join your company, because getting somebody to join you, you know, and, you know, they've put their livelihood at stake and, you know, come work for you. Um, you know, you have to be really convincing. And so, a lot, you know, and you you're constantly asking yourself, okay, like, hey, I've taken all this money from investors or friends and family. I've convinced people to give up their other job and maybe take a huge pay cut. 
am I really sure that this is the right thing to do? And it, it creates a lot of like deep anxiety about what's going on. Um, but one of the things that I, I, I did learn through that process and through going through processes of raising money and like people at the company not knowing quite what was going on while you're raising money and stuff is I found the best thing to do was just to be super honest with everybody. And just like you bring everybody along for the ride with you. Um, and what I've seen is that the, the founders who try and like sort of bundle it up and not tell people about the, the, the daily ups and downs, I'm not sure how healthy that is. Um, it's a lot better to have a whole team with you who kind of understands what's going on. Even if you're the one, you know, you can, that doesn't mean the whole team gets to make the decision with you, um, but they're there with you. And I found that that helped a lot. Yeah, no, it makes total sense. One thing we have learned often from some of our other speakers is just how, you know, no matter how hard you've convinced yourself this is going to be, it's harder still when you actually launch and surrounding yourself with the right people to get over those obstacles just seems critical. Well, Matt, we're, I mean, we're halfway into class. We haven't talked about Roblox yet at all. I would love for you, you know, for those in the room unfamiliar, tell us what Roblox is, what it does why you were so excited to join this team in the first place. Sure, um, so Roblox, it's, it's a platform where people build virtual experiences. Lots of people call them games, but there's sort of, some of them are less about being a game and it's more about just hanging out with each other and they are multiplayer. So lots of people can go into a game um, or this experience, they can hang out with each other. Uh, they can compete with something, um, simulations, all kinds of stuff. What makes Roblox unique is that all of the content on Roblox is user generated. So Roblox has a development studio. There's an IDE to create these virtual environments and you can build something and it's pretty easy to build something. And you could, you know, you could build something kind of interesting, you know, in a few hours and hit publish. And it's instantly available everywhere in the world on like phones and the Xbox and PCs and stuff like that. And our developers who create content, um, they can monetize it because they could create an experience and they could say, hey, if you wanna be in my experience and you wanna wear a special hat or you wanna to go to a special level, you can charge people a virtual currency and we run the whole economy for that. And these experiences are pretty varied. So, um, you know, I think at the end of last year, uh, we did a concert with Lil Nas X um, where the experience was seeing an, an album debut and, and watching like this interactive thing and people would buy like, you know, t-shirts and hats and like all kinds of stuff. And we run the whole economy behind that. Now today, Roblox has, um, I think it's about 40 million people per day play Roblox. It's probably upwards of two thirds of the kids in North America, um, similar percentages in lots of other places around the world. And each month, um, people who are using Roblox spend about 3 billion hours on the platform. And so, you know, Roblox has, you know, been around for a long time. And like one of the things that's been really interesting is that the developers on Roblox today are top developers um, who most of them grew up playing Roblox and they were kids and they were like, hey, you know, this thing is pretty cool. There's this studio thing where I can create content I'll try it, I can figure this out. And they start like typically 12, 13 years old. By the time they're 16 or 17, you know, they're pretty good. You know, they've taught themselves some design, they've taught themselves some coding. 
And they're like, oh, you know, I've met some other people on the platform. I bet we could make something together. And, you know, they do that. And now, you know, there's probably a um, hundred or so teams. This is at the high end. There's, there's 7 million people who are developing on the platform every month. But at the high end, there's about a hundred teams that are like made up of lots of people growing up on the platform. And the top teams will make over a hundred million dollars this year. And that's their cut of the revenue of this economy that, that we run. And so it's really fascinating to see like entrepreneurship on that platform, how these teams come together, how people build relationships. And it's fascinating because these teams, most of them have not met each other in person. You know, they're, you think about it, they're kids who, who met each other playing this game and they grew up and they were teenagers together and stuff like that. And now they form these companies. And now what we're seeing is we're watching some of them go from like, yeah, you know, it's me and a few of my friends to like, what does it mean to run a company with a hundred people in it that's making a hundred million a year? And like, what are the challenges of really hitting that scale? So it's been actually super exciting and interesting to watch that stuff. Um, to your question about why I went there, um, I have a whole whole thing I talked about. Um, before that, I, I ran a company called Crunchbase, uh, which is a directory of startups and um, I went to run it and spin it out of a company and I raised a bunch of money for it. And through, it's the team issue. Um, I was in a situation where I, I, I wasn't really happy being there and I wanted to go do something different. And one of the things that Roblox I saw with it is like this opportunity to take something that was starting to hit product market fit and really scale it. So, you know, I think when I started, I don't know, the, the company's probably, 20x, maybe 50x in the number of users and stuff like that since I joined just like four years ago. Um, and seeing what that's like and seeing how you would solve problems like that. Um, and one of the big lessons I, I've learned from it is that all that stuff I've learned running product and engineering, you can apply it to running a company. So when you're designing a product, you have a feature and you have a roadmap and you have releases and all of that stuff. Um, when you're running a company, you can do the same thing. You can say, wow, we have a thousand people today. Well, what's our release look like when we have 5,000 people? What's our roadmap to get there? Um, you know, what are the features that we want this organization to have? I mean, what's the road, you know, roadmap and like who are our customers and stuff? So it's been like this opportunity to look at like running a company, like running a product. Um, anyway. Interesting. So one of the things we've talked about in the past is the revenue model of a company. And, um, it's interesting to me because you've already hit a couple of them. We've talked about being a marketplace and what, what it means for a startup to be a marketplace for other folks, what it means to sell virtual goods on your platform. Um, can you give us a little detail about how Roblox monetizes the, the value? Of oh, yeah. Sure. It's a, so it's an interesting model. So basically, you can create content on Roblox for free. Um, if you, you can go create an experience and you can publish it and instantaneously it's available. And whether you're the only person who ever uses that experience or like some of ours that have, you know, billions and billions of visits and, you know, might peak with like 10 million people playing it at the same time, you don't pay us anything. There's no charge. But if you want to make money, then what you do is you create something inside of Roblox where somebody has to pay for something and they have to pay with a virtual currency. And all transactions in Roblox happen through this virtual currency called Robux. And it's about a hundred Robux to a dollar. So it's about a penny per Robux. And what we do is since we run the economy, when somebody wants to buy something in a game, 
they come to us and they buy the virtual currency. They buy it with, you know, fiat currency, wherever you are in the world, you know, US dollars or um, British pounds or euros or whatever. Um, and then we give you Robux and then you go in the game and you spend the Robux. The developer collects all of them and they have this, you know, they have their own bank account of Robux that goes up and up and up. And then we let them cash out. And when they cash out, we take a percentage of it. And we take the, per the percentage that we take, it ends up being in our case, in the end, about 75%. But that covers all the payment fees. If anybody's watching the Epic versus Apple lawsuit right now or, or trial, which is going on, you know, Apple and Google take about 30% of it. Um, we have to pay for data centers. I think we have, uh, I wanna say 42 data centers all over the world, tens of thousands of servers. Um, and we cover trust and safety issues and all of that stuff. So our business is actually really simple because we sell a virtual currency and then we let people take that currency and then they, we will buy it back from them at a rate. And that's how, how we do it basically. Um, it just only works at super scale. <laughs> it's really interesting. I mean, it's very different than, than most of the startups we studied. Well, so Matt, like, was there a moment in time where you realized, oh my gosh, you know, we've made it. This company has hit it big. We've hit the tipping point. Uh, was, was that a moment in time or, or you, you look back now, I'm like, oh my goodness, I can't believe we ever did this. No, you know, it's like a boiling frog problem. Like, you know, you're, you're in it and you don't realize it. Um, I still look around and I still think it's small. And I still think we're really early. Um, <clears throat> So no, I don't, you know, going public, you put a number on it and it seems more real that way. But beyond that, we still run like a small company, still a startup. Yeah. Well, so you led right into my next question here. Like, so Roblox went public recently. That's a big deal. Tell us about that, what happened. And, and I mean, it's been all good news, it seems, since. Would love to get yeah, the, the, the detail and the behind the scenes of going public. It actually started with a investment problem. And the problem was that private investors value things very different than a public company investor. So if you invest <coughs> in a public company and you invest $100, if you change your mind tomorrow, you go get your $100 back. Maybe you get 98, maybe a 95, but you get most of it back, it's all good. With a private company, if you invest $100, it may be five or 10 years before you get it back, if you get it back at all. Even if the company is doing well, you don't get your money back right away. And in today's environment, private companies are valued at like half of what the same company would be valued in the public market. And it just has to do with like how people can get their money in and out. It doesn't have to do with what the company is doing or the market or anything. So we are running into a problem that in order to attract employees, we had to give away a lot of equity and we were spending a lot of money to try and hire employees. Whereas at the same time, if we went public, it would change that a lot. So it started putting a lot of pressure on us to start thinking about going public. Um, and so that was kind of like some of the original premise. <clears throat> what I will say is that if you are a startup with like two or three people and you're walking around and you're raising money and you're going to angel investors or venture firms, it's the same as going public. 
Um, when we were writing something called an S1, which is your document that you ex explains what your company does, and it's like your formal like you know disclosures to the SEC and stuff. I wrote a lot of it. It was just like writing a pitch for like a Series A company. We were asking for a lot more money, and the stakes were much higher. But it was the same document, and there's a lot more lawyers um, and a lot more bankers. But it's the same idea. And so I thought it was really interesting because I've gone from like the raising angel money to raising like a series A all the way through probably a series C or D to like doing late stage investments with um, like hedge funds and like mutual funds to going public. It's the same thing over and over again. It's just, it gets bigger, but the excitement that you have to be able to portray about what you're doing. And it's that selling, like, you know, when you're, at an angel company, you're selling somebody on like, this is gonna be great in the future. As a public company, you're selling people on like, this is a sure bet. Like this is a really sound investment that you can take all of your mutual fund customers and you can get them to invest in us. And so I thought that that was really interesting. And I also thought it was interesting that the same people showed up along the way. And like investors, you know, they evolve over time, just like I have or companies have. So. I would run into people at different stages and we'd be sitting across the table and be like, yeah, you know, a few years ago, we were talking about, would you give me a million? And now I'm, we're asking for 200 million, but we're having the same conversation about um, what we think the future of a product is and why we're excited about it and, you know, what the vision of a business is. Awesome. That's awesome. Um, well, so Matt, uh, pivot here a little bit. Your title, Chief Systems Officer at Roblox. Tell us about that. Like what, what is that job? What, what are your responsibilities? What do you do? So I started off at Roblox as a VP of product, and I was responsible for pretty much everything except for the game engine um, and the tools to build games. So the IDE and the game engine, um, that was separate. But then I was, I was responsible for a period of time of everything else. And when I started, there were a couple hundred people, and there were a lot of questions about, like, how do you run the company? Like, what does it mean to be a team? What does it mean to be a team leader? How do we plan? How do we like, how do we report on how we're doing? Like to tell everybody else, like what's going on? And I kind of fell into running all of that stuff. Um, I think it was part because I was, I come from the outside with a lot of that type of experience. Um, and I think I probably just inclined to do those things. And since Roblox is 80% product development, how we ended up running the company uh, in product development ended up being how we run the whole company. And so we started saying, thinking about these questions about, well, gee, as a company grows from 200 to 500 to 1,000, you know, probably be like four or 5,000 in the not too distant future. We started thinking about like, how do you do that? Like, how do you even organize around that? How do you keep, for us, we talk about how do you um, create um, innovation at scale? Because we have to innovate across so many different areas. Like we have to innovate in how we run data centers. And we have to innovate on how you build a social network or how you build an economy or how you build like a lighting engine for a 3D, you know, virtual environment. And we started asking these questions about how do you make sure that you have innovation in all these places? And really you're running lots of startups. We run like 60 different teams and we think of each team as its own startup. Um, we started, I ended up spending more and more of my time figuring that stuff out. And so it came to a point where we're like, okay, like, you know, we need to hire somebody either to run all of product 
Um, and you know, whether like that was something that I would do, or he was honestly even qualified to do versus going and running how we run the company. And so the chief systems officer at Roblox is really focused on how we run the company. Like, and it's sometimes it's as mundane as like, you know, I think Aaron Kim is on this call with me, um, how we run monthly reviews. You know, how do you just get people to come together and talk about what they're doing? It seems mundane, but like, it's like, it's like the lifeblood of the company. So everybody understands what's going on and these things can all work together. Um, it's from stuff like that to actually building all of the systems that we use to track what's going on. And there's a philosophy at Roblox around, you can do all you want to try and like get a bunch of people in a room and tell them how they should behave and talk to them and like trying to educate them. Or you can give everybody a tool that they need to use. And if the tool, when you open it up has a giant number on it, which is some metric, if you see that metric is when you open up that tool enough, you're gonna realize it's important and you should pay attention to it. So instead of going and telling everybody what they should pay attention to, you just give them a tool and you just start manipulating it. And it seems a little bit subversive and stuff like that, but like I can tell you that it's pretty effective. Um, so we're starting to think about like how we build our own systems um, in order to drive some of those behaviors. Interesting, I, I love this. Just the big number on the screen, change everything. Well, so Matt, you were a UC Davis student. We're surrounded here by, by dozens of them. What, what advice would you have given yourself? You know, if you could talk to yourself back in 1994 as you're graduating, or maybe yeah, a couple of years earlier as you're going through school, what would you tell to someone who wanted to, to follow a similar career, interested in startups, maybe, uh, maybe investing, but want to run a big company that's going to you know, change the world? I think the most important thing I would have told myself is go out and find out what good looks like. We see this actually a lot when we we're interviewing for people nowadays. Um, like, we're like if I'm going to interview for somebody to come and um, work on, let's say, our data centers, right? And you want somebody to come in and run the data centers or some part of our data center thing. You wanna hire somebody who's worked at a company that's had massive data centers, like just so they know what that looks like. Or if you know you want somebody to run like part of our social network, you want somebody to see what the problem, having have had seen what the problems are like when you bring you know 180 million people together in an environment where there's a lot of communication like what what could possibly go wrong you want somebody to who's seen that kind of stuff and so I think the advice that I would have given myself would have been to be a little bit more strategic leaving school um, to go out and try and figure out what that looks like now it doesn't mean that you need to go work at these companies but it does mean that you need to spend time with the people who have or go to meetups or, you know, whatever it is, you know, do volunteer work. It, it doesn't matter, but you need to go and see what good looks like. And I wish I would have done that um, because a lot of the industry gives you credit for where you've come from and what you've seen. Um, they implicitly give you credit for that, even if you didn't necessarily do it. And if you haven't been in a place and exposed to what that good is, it's hard to convince people that you know how to create good. It makes all the sense in the world. I love that. I'm going to have that. Go have my mom embroider that, put it on my wall, go out and find what good looks like. Matt, it is four o'clock. We promised to get you out of here at four, but thank you so much for joining us. Everybody, let's give Matt Thanks a round so of applause. Joining us from Roblox today, uh, proud Aggie. And uh, thank you very much, Matt. We appreciate you being here. Yeah, thanks um, and everybody, me. best of luck. Go rock the homework this weekend, and we'll catch you on Monday. Mm -hmm.